ABA has a rap of having a lot of really rigid <laughs> analytical people in it. There's two gifts you can give a kid that will be with them forever. And you as a BCBA could really pat yourself on the back and say, I really helped improve this child's outcome. And he literally looked at me and he's like, I want juice. And I realized then that he was prompting me to prompt him so that he can request. And it blew my mind. This is Career Forum. I'm Figi Barth, Director of Development for Sarah Schneer Institute. Choosing a career path can be so challenging. So many questions, so many things to think about. Who do you turn to for reliable information? Where do you go to hear about the experiences of others? Fortunately, you're in the right place, because here on Career Forum, we have answers. Get ready to hear from top professionals who will share their journeys with you and give you a candid inside look into the many aspects of their fields. This is knowledge you won't find anywhere else. Our guest today is Andrea Netzer. Andrea is a board-certified behavior analyst with over two decades of diverse experiences in the fields of applied behavior analysis. She broke into this field long before it became a popular career choice for from women. Andrea has climbed the ladder all the way to her current role as a regional clinical director for Proud Moments ABA, a thriving ABA agency. What's her secret in accomplishing so much growth in her field? Well, let's hear it from her. Andrea, welcome to Career Forum. Thank you so much for having me, Feige. Really excited to be here. So where were you born and raised? I was born in New York. I did a little stint in Argentina, and I grew up in Long Island. And when you were a child, were you a serious student? Was going to college part of your plans? So at a young age, I always had an affinity for giving over information. I tutored a lot. I loved teaching. I loved school. It was something that I really felt passionate about when I was younger. I always used to help my siblings with homework. I even remember like playing house, but like I was always the teacher. <laughs> so um, going into a field where, you know, there's education involved was always something that I felt a strong pull towards. When did you decide that you wanted to become a formal teacher? What was it that prompted that? Like you said, back in the day, there wasn't a field of ABA. At first, I didn't really know much about it. So I really wanted to become a teacher. I wanted to become a special ed teacher. I really wanted to help kids learn. And I wanted to help kids that had a hard time learning learn. And I knew that ever since I was 19, I came back from seminary and that was my career choice. So can you tell us a little bit about your schooling, both at the undergraduate and master's levels? What degrees did you go for? What college did you attend? So for my undergraduate degree, I did some credits in seminary. <laughs> I also took some credits in high school. And then I went to Bolka's Adelphi program and got my BA in liberal arts. I wanted to go into teaching. I wanted a really solid program that was paced and wasn't too fast because I was working. And I decided to go to Queens College at Queens College is actually where I really learned about ABA and got my deep dive there. So my first semester of my master's program in special education 
was Education 101 and then ABA 101. And I'm like, hey, like, this is super interesting. You get to learn like the science of learning, merging that like scientific view and teaching kind of really merged my two loves together. I did my practicum in an ABA classroom in District 75. And my master thesis was actually written in single subject design, which is the design that behavior analysts kind of lean towards. So at that time, were there other firm girls going for the field of ABA? Was it something that you found other interest in with your peers? You know, I kind of fell in love with it through school. You know, a lot of my friends made other school choices. Queens College is a a public school. So I feel like it kind of veered off in a totally different direction as my peers. Wow. So that master's was in education or special education? It was in special education. It was in childhood special education. So after you had that, you know, that class that inspired you and you started getting these EBA experiences, at what point did you kind of decide to make this your career? So while I was in school, I was working, like I said, um, I worked in a school in Queens. It was a special ed school uh, from school. I became the teacher there fairly quickly. There was, I started off as an assistant. I became a teacher. I did have an affinity for it. It just kind of always felt really natural for me. What age were you teaching at that time? So I was teaching childhood. So I was teaching school-age children. I was the English teacher. So I taught in the morning in one class and then in the afternoon in another class. I taught third and fourth grade boys. And then I had a mixed class first to third grade level. All the behavioral kids kind of gravitated towards me. Uh, And (laughs) like, I always had like all of them kind of eating out of the palm of my hand. And people were like, how do you do that? And I'm like, I don't know. But then when I took my behavior course, I'm like, oh, like it clicked for me. It like really made sense. I'm like, oh, this is why this is happening. And and this is why I'm able to learn words like shaping and reinforcement and, and all that good stuff. And then the next year, they actually took me back and made me a teacher for half a day. And I then did home-based. Back then, you were able to get a transitional B certificate. So I actually was working with three to five-year-olds that had an autism diagnosis. I got a crash course on discrete trial. And then somebody literally handed me a program book and said goodbye. (laughs) And that was the last I ever saw of them. So it was really trial by fire. I had to learn a lot of it on my own. So now, you know, you're you're getting these experiences, you're doing ABA, and where are you holding in life? How old are you now? So I graduated college when I was 21. I didn't accelerate a track just because of my Basiakov background. Queens College had a three-year program that I did in two. I was a little bored, honestly. Like, <laughs> it was a little too slow. <laughs> I wanted something slow, but not that slow. And I just really pushed myself to also take some other courses in ABA just because there was so little supervision at the time. I went and took some coursework. Once I graduated college and, and was able to get my teaching certificates uh, through New York, I went to work in District 75 uh, in East New York, really just green and just wanting to change the world and really like help people and help kids. When I realized that public school didn't fit my lifestyle, I guess, I actually went and helped start Yaldenu the year after. And I worked with a lot of amazing people there. And that's really where I got 
such great supervision. So I'm going to say Yaldinu is an ABA school in Brooklyn. So at this point, you have your master's in childhood education from Queens College. Right. And you've gotten some ABA experiences. And now you're already like launching this ABA career working to start this program. Yes. So I was approached by Bluma Barhoran. They were looking for a teacher that had ABA experience. And I had spent two years while I was in college gaining that experience. So I was a teacher. We didn't have a clinical director at that time. So me and the other teacher, Faggy Schachner, who is also BCBA now, trained all the staff and set up materials and set up our classrooms and really worked hard to make sure that our students were getting the services they needed. We partnered with some great OTs and speech therapists, which I'm really grateful because it helped me really diversify my knowledge in autism. I didn't have just like that narrow educational view. And we worked with some really great consultants and that really helped build my foundation in programming, language development, social development, as well as just also getting a much deeper understanding of where the deficits of autism come from, what they are, how to deal with different situations, and just really help strengthen my skill set. Okay, so what exactly is ABA therapy? We're going to pause your story for a minute, and let's kind of just go into it. Can you explain exactly how it works, maybe give some examples of what a behavior technician is actually doing with a client during a session? Right, so I'm going to just roll back a drop. What I was doing is kind of like what a BCBA and a behavior technician do in one a BCBA develops the programs, a behavior technician runs the program. So my baseline experience was of doing both things. And I really do feel very blessed to do that because you get to really see everything from all different sides. So ABA stands for Applied Behavior Analysis, like you said. It is an offshoot of psychology and behaviorism. It's not classic behaviorism. It's more radical behaviorism based on Skinnerian thought process, which really means we look at observable and measurable behaviors, but we also take into account private events, things that people think in their mind. And I I kind of conceptualize that as thoughts and feelings. So we look at what a person is doing. We see a pattern in that. We understand that everybody does something for a reason. We figure out what the reason is, and then we figure out a way to get that student or client, or child, or adult, individual, I guess, to behave in a way that's more adaptive in order to get what they want versus maladaptive. So that's the behavioral piece. But then there's also the skill-based piece. Skills are behaviors that we exhibit, but they're just adaptive behaviors. And it takes practice and specific teaching, especially with the autism population, where we break things down into their basic parts and then build it up together into a bigger skill. And what's amazing about ABA is that it is scientific. So we are taking data. We're measuring what we want to increase. Is what we're doing working? If not, let's figure out another way to do it. Are the behaviors that we want to go down going down? Are the behaviors and skills that we want to go up going up? And there's a lot of analytical thinking that needs to happen in order to make this work properly. And the data 
is what we use in order to help us with that. So what a behavior technician would do, now to answer your question, now that I have the baseline for it. That was super clear. Thank you. (laughs) Um, See, teaching. (laughs) Exactly. So what a behavior technician does is they follow the BCBs programs for skill acquisition and behavior reduction and the behavior plans to help reduce maladaptive behaviors. And then they take data on that. So they're the ones really boots on the ground, running the programs, following through with the behavior plans, teaching the skills, and then taking that data on it. At what point did you actually go on for your master's or, you know, what schooling did you get for that degree in EBA? After I left Yaldinu, I actually went back to school to get my early childhood extension. And then I worked to integrate some kiddos with autism into mainstream settings that were school-aged and younger. I came back to Yalad Vialda and started working in their ABA centers and clinics I started off in the one in Williamsburg, and I ended up helping establish the one in Crown Heights. During that time, I met my BCBA supervisor, Ruthie Beer. She's amazing, and she really did encourage me to go back for my BCBA. I went back to FIT through Sarashnir. I was your first cohort, your first one. Wow, you are our very first ABA cohort. <laughs> yes, I was part of the first ABA cohort through Sarashnir. You guys were affiliated with FIT at the time because the LBA was not a thing. And I did my coursework, my year and a half, 15 months, not even. And it was a really amazing experience. We had some really great professors that actually flew in and gave us a really good kind of intro course. I had a lot of the information, but it was just kind of formalizing it. And I knew the different single subject designs and when and where to use them. I knew about data collection. I knew about behavior. It was just a way to kind of formalize it. But the education was really great. I passed my test on the first time. Like I really felt like I had a solid education. Is passing your test on the first time a claim to fame? Is that is that rare? There's a 40% pass rate. So yeah, <laughs> not even, I think it's even lower, but it is hard to pass the BCBA test through the BACB. It's a very rigorous exam. And I know that a lot of graduates from Sarshnir and also like FIT at the time, that was one of their selling points. Most of our students pass on the first try. So you mentioned the schooling for EBA and you mentioned this BCBA exam. Are there any other parts of the process to become a BCBA? So now it looks a little bit different. Now you need a master's in ABA. It used to be you could just be in a related field and then you accrue your hours. So I accrued my hours with my supervisor. At the time it was 1,500. Now it's 2,000 hours. You need to work under a BCBA for 2,000 hours doing BCBA or BT work, right? So you need to work with kiddos, take data. So those are the restricted hours, right? Those are the ones that you're actually working with kiddos. And then there's the unrestricted hours, which need to be 60% of the supervisory work under the BCBA, where you're doing kind of what a BCBA would do with your BCBA supervision. So under guidance, thinking about program development, thinking about behavior plans, assessments, parent collaboration, and all of that 
kind of work. And it really does give you a very robust experience where you get to work with the kids and really see that progress, take the data and be the boots on the ground and know what it takes in order to make progress with a kid. And then the flip side, you get to, with BCBA supervision, really learn the skill set that you're going to need to become a BCBA. So what you're saying is that in that fieldwork experience, you're getting both the experience as a behavior technician, working with the child or the client himself or herself, being supervised by the BCBA, as well as getting your feet into the field of BCBA itself, doing some of the jobs that eventually you'll do as the BCBA. Correct. So now let's talk about a BCBA. I think that maybe the best way to illustrate this is for you to actually talk about your first position as a BCBA, you know, kind of what your what your day-to-day looked like and what your roles and responsibilities included at that time. So a BCBA is different than a teacher, right? So when I went into the ABA insurance field versus the Board of Ed ABA field, there was definitely a shift. So now as a BCBA, I became a supervisor. That's actually why I pushed it off for a while because I really wanted to learn and really wanted to grow my skill set before I started supervising people. So as a teacher, you work directly with the kids. As a BCBA, you're a supervisor of behavior technicians that work directly with the kids. You need to know how to work with kids because you can't teach something you don't know, but you don't necessarily have that direct, constant contact. So as a BCBA, there are a few different components. One component is setting up a client and setting up their programming. So you would do an assessment and you figure out kind of where your client is, where their deficits are, where their strengths are, and you write a report based on that. Then you take that report, right? And you turn it into goals. So usually the long-term goals are in the assessment and you need to break down those long-term goals into steps, targets, where it'll help you reach that goal. So you have a goal where you want a kiddo to request or manned for 10 things in their view, but you might not be able to start there. So you need to really analyze and think about How am I going to break this down into small achievable steps? So those are the targets. Then your BT comes in and you need to kind of go through everything and explain it in a way that they can understand and then they could actually do. And then you need to make sure that the data is taken correctly because as a BCBA in the field of ABA, there's something called visual analysis versus statistical analysis. So in the visual analysis, it means that you have a graph in front of you and you can kind of see if things are going up or down the direction that you want it to go versus a statistical analysis where it's just a lot of numbers on a page. So you need to look at the graphs, see if your client is making progress, if they're not making progress, adjust, Continue to train the BT to run the programs with fidelity accurately. And then there's another component, which is the parent collaboration component. That was basically the assessment and supervisory piece of the BCBA job. So could you share a story with us that illustrates maybe something that happened to you as a BCBA, how ABA can be, as you're saying, so effective in changing or shaping a child's behaviors? I have so many stories. That's a good thing. 
Okay. So I had a client come in maybe a little after two years old, pre-op Sharon, and um, he just used to script. Scripting is when they say things over and over again, typically from some shows or comments that like parents make. So he would just script and script. He had words, so we knew he can talk. We were really trying to get communication. Communication is when language has a function versus just talking. He would just script different things. And we never really understood like what the function was. What what was he trying to tell us? It seemed like he wanted connection. And it seemed like he really was trying to tell us things. I remember him scripting like, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? And he probably heard us say that to him. One day, I just, in the beginning of the year, I, I literally just like repeated, like kind of exasperated, just thinking out loud in, in my head, like, what do you want? And he literally looked at me and he's like, I want juice. And I realized then that he was prompting me to prompt him so that he can request. And it blew my mind. He could only answer a question if you asked it to him in a very specific way. So what that really helped me learn is like, one, generalization is super important. And two, when we're teaching kiddos to request different things, we really need to have the natural motivation be the signal for the request versus our words, because kids could get so verbally prompt dependent. So we really started working on contriving. That means setting up different situations that you would have to request and we would fade the what do you want prompt. And I remember his mother coming and like crying, saying like he asked for juice and we didn't have to do anything for him. And it was one of those moments where it's like, wow, we really gave a kid a voice. He was just spouting just scripts and, and nonsensical Thomas engine, you know, <laughs> clips. And now he was having some functional communication. I mean, what better gift can you give somebody than having them ask for things that they want and people actually understanding them? It was really, really amazing. So you mentioned this boy's parents. So let's talk about parents a little bit. There's a component of BCBA that involves the parents, correct? Can you tell us more about that? Yes. So it's officially called parent training. I love to call it parent collaboration. They are parents. We're not training anyone to be a parent. They're already a parent. But we're collaborating with them and trying to teach some skills in ABA we have this something called ABC, and that's kind of the sequence of how behaviors work, where there's context or an antecedent, which is the environment. Then there's the behavior that we want to increase or decrease. And then there's a consequence, which is reinforcement, kind of what comes after the behavior that gets the behavior to happen again, the behaviors that we want or the behaviors that we don't want to not happen again next time. So that's it. I'll regalajas, right? On, I just, on one cut. I just did ABC in 30 seconds. Um, so parents are the environment of our clients. Parents set up the home and they elicit or evoke different behaviors from their kiddos, depending on how they're setting up the environment or how they're acting. So they are a huge huge component. If we want to see behavior change with a client, we really, really need to partner with parents and families in order to do that. So 
Getting parent buy-in is huge. Relating to parents, making them not feel judged is huge. And then working on different skills, coming up with a plan together with them, and then motivating them and reinforcing them, right? Because I always say the same skills that we use, the same wonderful, great toolbox that we use to help our clients with autism, we also need to use to help our parents follow through because it's hard. We come in and then we get to go home and our families are with our clients all the time. So we want to help use that great toolbox to help train our BTs, to help work with our clients, to help our parents be successful. So can you tell us maybe a story about a parent where, as you're seeing, you know, sometimes the parents are more resistant to you coming in as this BCBA and kind of telling them what's best for their child. Do you have any success stories, a parent that started off not so interested in what you had to say, but really came around and saw the benefits of the ABA that you were doing with their child? One of the parents that we worked with, you know, toilet training is so hard, so, so hard. There's two gifts you can give a kid that will be with them forever. And you as a BCBA could really pat yourself on the back and say, I really helped improve this child's outcome. One is toilet training. The other is functional communication. So we spoke about functional communication. Now let's talk about toilet training. So toilet training needs to be done all the time, not just when the therapists are there in order to be successful. It's really hard to get buy-in from families because it's really hard to toilet train a typical kid. Uh, Think about a kid with autism. So one of the parents that we worked with, I remember sitting I have like my toilet training skirt, right? (laughs) (laughs) It's in my car and I just go in and change and like get ready to like do the hard stuff. And, you know, I really sat as the BT left with a parent to kind of prep them. And I remember her saying like, I don't know if I could do this. This is going to be really hard. And I said, I know this is going to be really hard, but you want this and we all came up with a plan and we're all going to need to do some hard stuff in order to get this done. And I remember I I sat with her for a half an hour just to kind of start her off, make her see, kind of have contact with the success of what she was doing. And I remember leaving and I texted her a half an hour later and then I texted her another half an hour later. And then at night after she put him to bed, she's like, it was really hard, but like I stuck through it. Great. The next day I made sure to be there also kind of towards the end of the session, not really for the BT, but just to kind of, you know, be there for the parent. And I stayed for another half an hour. We toilet trained the kiddo and the parent actually told me, she said, you know, Andrea, like if you weren't here with me those first few days, I don't know if I would have been able to follow through if I would have been able to do it. The third day I actually did it through FaceTime, through Zoom. But just holding her hand through that really gave her that like support impetus that she needed to be able to follow through. It took a few weeks to get this kiddo toilet trained, but we were really successful and we wouldn't have been if the parent wouldn't have worked together with us. And then if I didn't give that support in the beginning and that feedback in the beginning, the parent would have really struggled through in the beginning and maybe even given up. So I always tell BCBAs, like the the power is in your hands. If we're doing what we need to do well and the parents are on board, we'll see success. 
So moving into kind of like the skills that a BCBA would need to be successful in this field, it seems like this interpersonal part of working together with the parents is essential in success in this field. Can you name some skills that are really necessary to do well in the field of ABA? For sure. So ABA has a rap of having a lot of really rigid (laughs) analytical people in it. Absolutely. I don't always agree with that because you need to be really creative about thinking about different skills, how to break it up, and how to really engage your learners and the families in those skills. So I think creativity really is an important piece of this. There's a lot of soft skills and a lot of compassion that we need to have for our families and our clients. But we really need, right, it's called behavior analysis. We really need to have an eye for that analysis because it's not about how we feel like our client is doing, if they're doing well, if they're not doing well. It's about the raw data, right? Is the client doing well? Are they not doing well? Let's now analyze the progress. And then let's think about skills and analyze that skill and observe our client and then be able to break it down in a way that works for them. You also need to be a proficient writer because there is a lot of reports. A lot of people forget about that. They're like, yeah, I just want to work with kids. And I'm like, that's awesome. But there's a lot of report (laughs) writing. So I always encourage people to read a lot of behavior analytic work, right? A lot of the research, and that'll get you in the mindset and in the mind frame of how to write and document in a behavior analytic fashion. You're a coach and a cheerleader for a lot of what you do. You're you're coaching and cheerleading your BT. You're coaching and cheerleading your families. You're coaching and cheerleading the kiddos. So you need to be able to give over information. You need to be able to write a plan well and organize your thoughts well. There is graphing involved. It's not like mathematical. It's fairly straightforward. And just understanding development and how people grow in their language and social skills, that's an important component as well. So going back to your story, so not all BCBAs just become regional clinical directors. Just the title alone is pretty fancy. So what happened in between your work as a BCBA and your current role? How did you climb that ladder? So I got into proud moments when it was starting. I was actually the first full-time employee, and I together with the core Proud Moments team, uh, Hani Rubin, really just, she was actually in school with me. We did our BCBs together through Sarshanir. So she really had a dream to help kids and not have it be such a financial drain on the families. And insurance services had just been approved for New York State at the time. And, you know, she kind of worked to build this client-centered type of agency. And I felt really strongly about that as well. So I was really happy to come and really help build it with her. I started off kind of doing everything. I started the assessment department, the intake department. I did a lot of behavior technician training, ABA 101, foundations of ABA and all that great stuff that I still love doing. We did a lot of parent counseling as well. And then as the company grew, I actually took on a role as director of training and development, really just disseminating the training. We started our RBT program at the time, really making sure that our behavior technicians went in knowing what they're doing 
into homes as best as they could. And then the BCB is really kind of taking over and doing a more client-specific training with them. I also started the BCBA student program. Right now, we actually have a really robust program. So obviously, I couldn't continue to do everything, right? <laughs> no one can, even though we all try, right? And as yeah, as the company grew, my, my job got a little bit more defined. So Jamie Johnson actually took over our supervision program, and she really built it out in a way that I could have only dreamed, right? My dream was to have a really strong program for our BCBA students in order for them to get their hands-on hours and their unrestricted hours as well, and just to have a well-rounded fieldwork experience. And then we just really built locations all over the country, and our BCBs just needed some more clinical support. So the RCD role, the regional clinical director role was built out at that time where I could kind of merge the training, the BT support, the parent support, the BCB support kind of all in one. I started off in New Jersey, working with um, our staff in New Jersey, and then I moved to New York and Mississippi and Florida as well. So I do go down to those locations and provide support there and virtual support, obviously. So it's just really something that really has always pulled me is you never stop learning in the field. You always go in with an open mind and never stop learning. And I've been lucky enough to keep the webinar piece where we do offer our BCBAs two CEs. What what are CEs? So they are continuing education credits that you need in order to keep your BCBA certificate. You need 32 every two years. Four of them need to be in ethics and three in supervision. And we do provide that for Proud Moments BCBAs. And I actually oversee that. So I get to have like really fun conversations and nerd out in behavior analysis <laughs> with some of the top BCBAs in the field. We had on recently Matt Sicoria that does the podcast Behavior Observations. He was really amazing. He's super fun to talk to. So that that love for learning that you mentioned at the beginning has really taken you all the way through. It's still something that you yes. just love. So let's talk more about the field. So what are the hours like as a BCBA? So because this is insurance-based and not education-based, there's a medical necessity component. So that means that really what we're working on is the symptoms of autism. So communication, social, restrictive, repetitive behavior. So it's not really academic-based. So it's typically after school hours, I would say anywhere between two to eight. There are younger clients that we do see during the day, and there are some kiddos that do need support in schools, behavioral support, not academic support. But I would say the core time frame would be that after school hour time frame. And where are you working during these hours? Are you going in to actually be with the children in their settings? Are you doing the work from home? Is there kind of like a mixture of both? We do community-based and home-based. And then we do have centers. So where we have centers, we have the kiddos come into the centers and work with them there. And where we're home-based, we do work in the home and in the community. Now, what about the treatment planning? When does that happen? It really depends on the insurance and the codes. There are direct codes. That means you need to be direct with clients. And then there are indirect codes, which allow you to 
be in your pajamas at home. Most insurance companies do not give a indirect code for treatment planning. They used to, but they do not anymore. So what I always suggest BCBAs to do is really just when they're working with their BT to go in, look at the data, model some programs, some new stuff, or observe their BTs, run some programs that look like they're not making the best progress or the graphs look a little wonky, and then update it right there and then so that they don't have to take the work home with them so that it is billable. And then there's also some great telehealth options where you can do supervision via telehealth, Zoom or whatever the agency uses that is HIPAA compliant. So you go down 80% of the time, and then 20% of the time, you do your supervision via telehealth, and then you're able to make updates and have your computer open during that time as well. Okay, now what about the salary? What is a starting salary that a BCBA can expect? So most agencies provide hourly compensation. The range could be anywhere between 80 and 100 plus. So it really, I think, depends on experience in the field and, you know, certification. In New York State, I do want to say you do need to be a licensed behavior analyst. I got kind of grandfathered into that, but you do need to have a license in order to service children through insurance in New York State. Is there room for growth within the salary that you mentioned? So there's always room for growth at Proud Moments. The company's always growing and looking for more clinical support. We have a lot of BCBs working on our assessment department, in our quality assurance department. There's a lot of different directions that you can go besides for just working directly with kiddos. There is a cap at some point because it's just about reimbursement through insurance companies. So I find that in board of ed hourly positions such as see it, there's also a cap. I do know that Proud Moments has a bonus program. So you do get a salary plus a bonus if you meet the bonus criteria. So we definitely value our BCBs. Our BCBs work hard and we know it's a job where you need to be very dedicated and hands-on. So we really try to show our love back through our bonus structure. So is this a field you would recommend to from girls? Do you think it's a job that's conducive to balancing other life responsibilities like raising a family? So I feel like I could answer this question the best if I would compare it and contrast it to the field of education. In education, you might be working during the day, but there's a lot of lesson planning. I have a lot of friends that are teachers, a lot of parent calls, and a lot of stuff that happen in the evenings. And then there's also you're dealing with a large group of kids, even if you are one-on-one, the pay is lower. As a BCBA, you can really use the science of learning to really affect change with your clients and their families where they need it most in the home, typically. And it is flexible in a way that you make your own schedule and you set your own hours. The pay is definitely more There is some evening components, but I feel like if you set really strong boundaries about when you're willing to work and when you're not willing to work, you will find work within those parameters. And there aren't a lot of day opportunities, but two to five is considered day as well. 
I tell new BCBAs, get really good at what you're doing. Be flexible in the beginning in order to do that. And then you can turn it around in a few years because you'll be considered more of an expert and people will need to be more flexible with you. A colleague of mine actually does BCBA work full time. If she needs to go to a doctor's appointment, you know, she'll readjust her schedule. It's not like you go into an office or into a school and there's somebody breathing down your back and saying, you know, where were you? What are you doing? She's let the family know she was in communication with her BT. She was able to have that like flexibility. Like, you know, Thursday morning, she calls me in between two cases. She does her Shabbos shopping. So I feel like just with anything, you could really make it work for you. Andrea Netzer is a BCBA currently working as a regional clinical director of Proud Moments EBA. Andrea, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us on Career Forum. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to like, subscribe, and share it with your friends so that we can continue to provide quality information that helps you make informed decisions about your future. To explore possible career options, to speak to a career advisor, or to learn more about Sarah Schneer, please visit our website at www.sarasch.com or call us at 718 618- 633-8557-Extension 37 and discover how we can help you achieve your career goals.